0: To the EMT Pro podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each month. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt ce.com. So head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me is Dan and Holly. Guys, hello, welcome Steve. Back.
1: Hi, good to have you. We're good to back have you as well.
0: Yeah, and uh, real quick, we got to introduce our guest because he's actually in studio with us today.
1: Dan, do you want to absolutely <laughs> Honored to introduce Dr. Ramsey Selback?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, wow. yeah, thanks we're for being excited here. Uh, to yeah. have you, man. Um, we're gonna do some case review. Yeah, is the plan. And uh, before we get going, I had uh, a little surprise that was, I thought was kind of cool to <laughs> fill you guys in on. So uh, I was on shift last night, and I get a phone call from my buddy Dave, who <laughs> is over in Central Oregon. And uh, he's like, "Hey, I wanted to share something with you." And kind of a random phone call. Mm-hmm. Like, Dave and I are buddies, but like to get a phone call from him instead of a text is kind of different, you know. So um, they go, yeah, man, what's up? He's like, well, um, I'm working with this guy who just started. um, They're both at an academy over there. Dave just lateraled over to a department over there. And um, he's like, I got this guy that uh, came here from Nebraska. He's working big city department. And he listened to your guys' podcast and said, yeah, I need to move to Oregon. And so he up and moved his entire life. Wow. Got a job working in Central <coughs> Oregon because he awesome. heard our podcast and thought it would be a cool place to work. Jeez, that's cool. Oregon yeah. is a cool place to work for, it is. for, it is. for paramedics. Yeah. 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 And we need medics, so we need medics. you guys can all come out here. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love it. <laughs> um, but I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't think we were having that big of an impact on people, but yeah. apparently.
2: It feels like a lot of responsibility. I, know.
0: I feel like, oh, shoot. All, right, I'm gonna take this all the native now. Oregonians
2: are going to be pissed at us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We got to keep wow.
3: the... Like an Oregon commercial. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Like visit Oregon is that a is that a thing? Sure, it is now. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I got to buy that domain name. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, um, Doc, I was thinking what we would do is we would talk about y- you. You have the case, so yeah. the three of us, yeah, with kind of a non-doctor mentality, are going to kind of pepper you with questions and be like, just kind of seeing if we can get our bearings around it, and then. Um, We'll just kind of go from there. But it yeah. sounds like
3: there's some really good lessons for EMS on this I think so, yeah. Kind of a, we'll kind of approach it pre-hospital, hospital, and then kind of outcomes and pitfalls and things that, you know, thankfully didn't come up but could come up. And Sweet. I'd be interested in your guys' take as well because, you know, we're not there pre-hospital. So I'm also right. interested to see yeah. how you guys deal with these cases and we can all learn. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we'll kind of work through it and kind of go stepwise. Okay. Does that sounds reasonable. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Um,
2: <clears throat> and I know you've been on the show before, but just for other people, you are a physician in a level one trauma center in the ER.
3: Yes. Yep. That's important there. Yep. And then I moonlight in a small critical critical access hospital as well. But
2: yeah. See it all.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: And real quick, give us the status of healthcare right now Ooh. in the states, because I just saw a uh, LinkedIn notification from OHSU, uh, which is another. Level one trauma center up in the Portland area, and they were saying, "You know what? Let me let me find this real quick." Um, <coughs> I was stunned at the language they used, which throughout COVID I'd never heard them uh, use in their announcements. On,
3: <clears throat> I would say even right now compared to COVID is, it's maybe worse. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's kind of what I was gathering. Just the, bed, <coughs> I don't know, bed wise, it feels. Anecdotally, it feels like there's less space. Mm-hmm. You know, a
2: Here's lot of people are leaving healthcare too. Yeah.
3: So
0: there was an op-ed in the Oregonian, which for those of us who don't know anything about Oregon, um, it's the major newspaper and online publication for news in the state. And uh, Dana Brainer, Brawner, mm-hmm. and Ben Hoffman wrote an op-ed for the Oregonian. And it was titled, As Sick Kids Fill ICU Beds, Oregonians Must Pull Together Again. And they took out a quote from that in their um, LinkedIn notification uh, post. And it says, We want to be clear that this public health emergency constitutes the greatest threat to children's health in our state that we have seen in the last 30 years. If this sounds dire to you, it's because it is.
3: Wow. Yeah, yeah, Dana Brainer's awesome. Yeah. He, so he's like the head of the you at OHSU. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a... I've worked with him and It was during a residency. Yeah. Awesome guy, awesome doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think especially in pediatrics right yeah. now, the state of the hospitals is scary. Yeah, Just lack of beds, lack of resources. Mm-hmm. You know, PICUs are full, floors are full, <clears throat> waiting rooms are full. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. We're having um, upwards of two and a half to three hour waits for a bed. So we're sitting with patients in hallways before no. we can drop them off. And they're using EMS as like essentially
2: the faux eyes. nurses
0: and yeah. medical assistants to kind of help out. Mm. And it's, it's a really weird time because like we're having people that are stuck at the hospital and our city is blowing up with more calls. Yeah. And we can't release people to, mm-hmm. you know, we can't drop the patients off. And so we're, we're triaging people all the time now. Before, it used to be like, oh, yeah, we triage that guy because right. it was so minor, and that was kind of rare, and now it's like daily we're doing it mm-hmm. at least once or twice. And just to
1: um, note, your hospital is not a small hospital.
0: No, it's a level two. Yeah. Yeah. We're the regional medical center in the area. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: I think that's the case in a lot of places. Yeah,
3: it's tough right now for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be trying to bring people to Oregon with this podcast. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. but We'll get it figured out. Yeah, we'll get it figured out. <laughs> I think it's everywhere, though. I think uh, it you know, is too. People yeah. are, yeah. I mean, that being said, it's you know people are still coming together, and mm-hmm. I you know it's tough, but yep. people are still doing a good job. Spe- I think, especially on the pediatric side, mm-hmm. you know, they're really they're doing a good job, like flexing spaces, changing criteria, so that now kids that used to go to the PICU can go to the floor, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're doing what they can what they can. Yeah, so. Well,
0: we'll keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. But. Okay. Should we move into this case? Let's do it. Okay, sure. So, why don't we just start. You, you go with wherever you think we need to know and we'll ask questions. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking
3: I would go with, mm-hmm. hey, I'm in your guys' shoes. I get a, like, this is the call. Mm-hmm. This is what you guys, you know, based on what I heard from EMS, this is what they saw when they walked in the door kind of situation. And then. We can like kind of ask questions and work our way through what happened pre-hospital, hospital, etc. Yeah, Does that sound yeah. reasonable. That sounds great. great. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you guys are working. You're on shift. You get a call. It's a mid-sixties-year-old female in respiratory distress. Okay. Essentially, is, is she at know. like a care home, or she at her home? home. She's okay. at her home with family. Pretty supportive family.
1: Do you know what the status of the house is? Is it?
3: Um, I think pretty like just normal, well, yeah, normal. Okay, yeah, okay. fairly fairly normal folks. You know, actually providing pretty good history.
1: Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. How they present when EMS arrived?
3: So what EMS says is they walked in, they found this lady tripoding, very tachypnic, in you know severe what they described as pretty severe respiratory distress. Mm-hmm.
1: So as you walk in, you're differentiating between sick, not sick.
3: So yeah. this person's sick. This person's sick. Okay. Yeah, they were they came code white. You know, code three at a manual, anything that comes in that's Code like, three is yeah. code white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, code white's like, hey, they're going to be a respiratory case, generally, cardiac okay. arrest, things mm-hmm. like that are okay. code whites. But they came in code three. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So they were pretty worried about her. What was the transport <clears> time? <throat> I think it was pretty quick, like maybe under, under half an hour. Okay. Like 20, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. And they didn't stay in play too long. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
1: So uh, initial SATs, vital signs. Yeah, so
3: they walk in. She's tripoding. initial SATs. She's a little hypertensive. I think she was in like the 180s systolic. She's a little tachycardic, probably like low 100s. Her SATs were in the low 80s Ooh. when they got in. What okay.
2: about lung sounds?
3: Lung sounds, it's, they, they thought she was wheezy. Kay. So they thought she was wheezy. Also, just a little more history they got there. No COPD diagnosis, but a smoker. Okay. Active smoker, smokes a, one and a half packs a day for quite a while.
2: Any other medical history?
3: Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> what they knew coming into the at least what I gathered from them was smoking history. Um, also on dialysis. Okay. Had gotten dialysis the day before, so hadn't missed any run, any dialysis that they knew of.
2: Okay. Yeah.
3: And did they pull off a normal amount the day before? Was it anything abnormal? So day before, great question. So she'd been having, this lady had a lot of stuff going on. So um, new onset AFib. So she'd been having some issues getting through her runs of dialysis. So she was like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday gal. Got dialyzed the day before, but got a half run. Mm-hmm. The, you know, run before that also got a half run. So at least two runs of dialysis where she got a half run of dialysis because she was getting going into AFib with RVR. So oh, they man. couldn't get her oh, wow. through Was down, that was on it? the
2: EKG when they found her?
3: <clears throat> no, she was not an AFib with okay. her. She was actually normal sinus. Okay. a little, Maybe a little tacky, if anything, but not an AFib.
1: Uh, so you. you said wheezy, so no no pulmonary edema?
3: So report I got, this is pre-hospital, so report I got before I'd even laid hands on the patient was she sounded wheezy. They gave her some decadron. Mm-hmm. They put her on oxygen. I think she was on 10 liters when she came in. Her SATs had improved. Didn't give her any breathing treatments in route. Did they say why? They didn't say why. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm
0: sorry. Was there fluid? Were, were we thinking there's fluid in the lung sounds?
3: So I, you want to hear? You want to know what I heard? Yeah. What'd yeah. you hear? So I, so I get her. She's sounding better. Still kind of in the low 90s. Still to but not tripoding. She's on 10 liters. Doesn't use oxygen at home.
2: Okay.
3: Um, blood pressure is about the same. 180s, 190s. She's like maybe borderline tachycardic, afebrile. Uh, I listened to her lungs. She is a little wheezy. She's one of those cases where you're like, mm-hmm. she sounds wheezy, she sounds wet. Yeah. You know, she mm-hmm. was a lot of crackles, diminished breath sounds at the bases, a little wheezy throughout. Um, but I felt like more more wet, more volume long than wheezy mm-hmm. on my exam.
2: Gotcha. Any uh, like peripheral edema?
3: Yes. She yes. had probably like two, three plus peripheral edema, which she said was relatively new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. A little JVD. Yeah.
1: Um, and how long have it been going on again
3: pretty rapid pretty rapid yeah so, yeah. so <clears throat> this fairly sudden onset of I can't breathe per per report
2: okay
1: so with that I mean as a paramedic I would I would go to um, CHF I, protocol
2: i go to BiPAP and
1: right well BiPAP well, that, you know uh, sympathetic crashing acute pulmonary <clears throat> edema escape that new thing mm-hmm. that's been coined mm-hmm. that's what per my protocol I would have went down mm-hmm. which is IV nitro yeah that's that's kinda where I would have went because of yeah. high blood I mean, pressure tachycardia. Our
0: CHF protocol is BIPAP. It's a breathing treatment through the BIPAP. It's monitoring end titles, blood pressures, IVs, and then it's a nitro drip if you have any sort mm-hmm. of a transport time. Right.
2: right. And a so you're not thinking pneumonia. Right. In that case. Yeah. Or any cough. No like cough. That,
3: no? Um no. No no real like your eye symptoms. Yeah. yeah.
2: Like exertional dyspnea or anything like that?
3: Uh she was I mean, At this point, but prior to that, that. uh, I mean a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Since her new AFib, she'd definitely been more short of breath. It sounds like over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at with her. Mm -hmm. I think I was maybe working with a resident that day and we had the same discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean,
2: Especially with missing dialysis, now yeah. you're thinking of some electrolyte disturbances right. or maybe o- fluid overloaded. Yeah, what yeah.
3: were what were her labs? Yeah, so we get some labs back. K, her electrolytes are okay from like a you know renal dialysis mm-hmm. standpoint. Potassium, we, potassium take? was fine. It was in the huh. fours. Her EKG was like sinus tack, but nothing, real, you know, nothing mm-hmm. major on the EKG. Uh, her BNP was like greater than four thousand five hundred. Um, her gas looked relatively okay it wasn't she was retaining a little bit but not not like a terrible COPD air yeah.
1: could just could Does we... she have
2: a history of heart failure
3: no no okay. no could you explain just for our listeners BNP yeah pro BNP is a lab that we get that basically measures the amount of stretch that's going on in the, in the, in, heart. the in the heart and that gives us an indication if there's some degree of heart failure gotcha. um, it's not like an end all lab but you know i would say Like that, you know, greater than 4,500. Part of the picture, yeah. Part of the picture.
1: So greater than 40,
3: greater than 4,500 on our lab is like kind of as high as it gets, essentially. Okay. Yeah. So you know, there are things that for BNP that can throw it off. People that are obese can, you know, you could be in fluid heart failure and your BNP is normal, right? So it's a part of the picture. But if it's like through the roof with that picture, definitely kind of points you more towards that. Okay. So, I mean, some other things. I did an ultrasound on her, point of care ultrasound. B-lines everywhere. So do you guys know? No. Nope. Do, do you guys use B-lines? Nope. like Do mm. ultrasound? So pul- like pulmonary ultrasound, you can use a, a cardiac probe, look at their lungs. And B-lines are essentially indicating that there's a lot of pulmonary edema. Oh. So it's kind of the way it scatters the ultrasound um, the ultrasound sound going through the lungs is it looks kind of like a flashlight, like looking through your lungs.
1: And so, so and she was... She, she had, had she had a
3: lot of pulmonary edema on ultrasound, so lots gotcha. of G lines. Okay. So kind of pushing us more towards a pulmonary edema picture. Okay, yeah. So this is where I get a little
0: intrigued because we, you know, if we hear someone is having a dialysis issue mm-hmm. and they have that history, I mean, it's hard for me not to zero in on that. As mm-hmm. me too, at least fifty percent of the problem every yeah. single time. Yeah, and so. If I hear that, I'm always nervous to really do much of anything, uh, primarily because I don't want to screw things up because yeah. I know that it can be a massive complicating factor for sure for patients. Yeah. So,
3: um, her heart looked okay, relatively. Okay. So the other thing, you know, some of these dialysis patients get these big effusions; mm-hmm. and they can be in like tamponade. She didn't have any evidence of tamponade. Definitely looked like she had pulmonary edema. The other important thing is she doesn't make urine. Right. Mm, so. Yeah. so, you know, a lot of dialysis patients still make some urine. Mm-hmm. And those patients, if they're vo- really volume along like this, you can slam them with LASIX and right. get some of the fluid off. So it makes no urine. So that's another important part yeah. of the picture. And um,
2: what's in the pre hospital toolbox, then we're thinking LASIX or Nitro, of course. Right. Right. Um But so that's out. Yeah. yeah. Um, nitro, BiPAP. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as helping yeah. the fluid yeah. overload. Yeah. And, and
3: you know, the, ca- the reason this case, I think, is interesting is I think I was working with a resident that day, and all these things came up in discussion, right? And your option, you're exactly right. So you want to get fluid off this person's lungs, BiPAP, nitro, emergent dialysis if you need mm-hmm. to dialyze them. Um, but I listened to her heart, and she's got a just whopping systolic ejection murmur. Like, sounds like she has severe aortic stenosis, yeah. right? Jeez. So hey, I don't know if you guys have up. any. I, I have
0: a, I have heart and lung sounds I can play. Let me see if I can bring up a heart
2: tone. Now, is her aortic stenosis something she knew about?
3: She had not really. I mean, she knew about it, but not to the degree that she would be able to say, like, hey, I have severe aortic stenosis. Yeah. I've never like, had oh, yeah, anyone <laughs> be like, oh, I've
2: got high blood pressure and I've got this. Right. And then later you find out, oh, right. aortic stenosis. Like, what not that something you would tell people?
3: Right, and you know she's like, like, "Oh yeah, I have a heart murmur." That's yeah. kind of what, because I listened to her heart and I said, "You've got a pretty severe murmur." She's like, "Oh yeah, I have a heart murmur," mm-hmm. and that was kind of the end. Like she's like, I, yeah. know, I know I have a heart murmur." Okay. It,
1: yeah. Any clues that we could have on the pre-hospital side if they don't have a good history?
0: Uh, I think the murmur, the
2: sound. Let the me sound, um, yeah, so.
0: let me play a normal heart tone. Yeah, I've got that on here, and then I'll play a aortic stenosis tone. One second. Here's normal. That's a normal S1, S2. Okay. Um, and then here is aortic stenosis. Oh, wow.
3: Sounds abrasive. Yeah. And I think that, you know, oftentimes it's a little more high-pitched than that. Mm-hmm. And, cla- you know, the classic teaching is it will radiate up into the carotid so you can hear it up in the neck. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So I don't know how often I don't how often you guys are listening for that. I'm, I,
0: I mean, I'll guilty. be honest. Now I'm <laughs> I'm gonna be anytime I'm thinking about BIPAP, I'm gonna be listening to heart tones. Yeah, yeah it's Just, you know. So
3: that
2: I would say, as a paramedic, I probably never did, but I, as a nurse, definitely I did.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm definitely not there. Yeah, right. And I don't know if, like, so in your guys's protocols, let's say somebody has, let's say they tell you they have aortic stenosis, like, what would that change in your pre hospital protocol at all? Nothing.
2: Yeah, there Mm -hmm. really is nothing pre hospital.
0: Yeah. And, but this is significant because it is. Like, yeah. If we don't change, let's just, let's walk down what happens if we exactly give everything we would normally give for a CHF patient on this call.
3: Right it's usually you know calcification of the the valve itself right mm. so the valve is now you're pushing blood through a fixed valve right right so you're pushing blood through like a pinhole you know for just simplification right okay. so your your ability to get dynamic blood throw through that valve is kind of gone mm-hmm. right so you know the teaching is that if somebody has severe aortic stenosis they become preload dependent meaning anything that you give them that drops their preload now drops their ability to have forward flow with, with, of blood flow. Because they're right. trying
2: to push it through such a small... Yeah,
3: because it's a fixed valve, valve yeah. right? So if you, you know, and I've seen this clinically, and the te- at least the teaching in the hospital is, you know, you do not give these patients nitro, for example, right? You, you give somebody with severe aortic stenosis nitro, and nitro is a drops their preload, and they code.
0: Man. So, like... I mean, you were saying this, this lady had a systolic of, like, 180? Yeah. And so, I mean, shoot, I'm still thinking at 180, I got, oh, I got room. I got plenty
3: of room. Yeah, me too.
0: And you don't necessarily. Yeah,
3: because of this, pre, you know, they're They're so preload dependent. You know, yeah. and, like, sure, maybe they, maybe they would tolerate it, but I've seen cases where, you know, people give nitro to a mm-hmm. person with bad aortic stenosis, and they code. Yeah. you know so that you know this is part of the reason this patient was so challenging and you know thankfully she didn't get nitro right, right? so anything that drops your preload especially iv nitro right and <laughs> nowadays people talk about giving iv nitro fun, oh, right. which is, it works great yeah but if you've got aortic stenosis and you've got this you know preload dependence and now you dump a lot of iv nitro tank their preload they've got no more forward flow they go into cardiac arrest jeez wow
2: and that would have been our only choice in the field because LASIX wouldn't have worked. Right. 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 So you would have gone right. straight to nitro. Yeah. Right. Had they done anything.
3: Right. Or BiPAP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, even BiPAP is, you know, anytime you get any sort of positive pressure ventilation, right, whether it's a tube or BiPAP, that also de- decreases your preload. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's something. BiPAP's great because you can always take it off, mm-hmm. right, if their pressures don't tolerate it um, or you can turn down your setting. So BiPAP, I think, is reasonable, but it's also also something that drops your preload for these people. Aortic stenosis patients can be really cha- – the severe ones can be pretty challenging mm-hmm. to manage. And she was challenging because she doesn't make urine. She's got terrible pulmonary edema. She needs dialysis, mm-hmm. and she's got aortic stenosis, and she probably has COPD. Yeah. Right. Right. So Just it's to like add a, a little. Yeah. Um, so so kind of a, walk us through what did you end up doing for? We ended up, she, and the, uh, the other thing is if you give them a bunch of breathing treatments, right? What's, what do people who give them a bunch of albuterol, what happens to them? Their heart rate increases. Hypertensive, like, anxiety, tachycardia. Yeah, they become tachycardia. If, if you become tachycardic, what does that you know, decrease? The preload. Or, yeah, or your filling time. Right. right? So it decreases your filling right. time pretty dramatically. So even that, like if you got a patient like this two tachycardic, that could also get you into trouble too.
1: So their lack of treatment actually helped. <laughs> yeah, so in this case, wow. you know, they actually didn't
3: do much, which was great. Yeah. And Luckily was, she
2: improved with the non rebreather yeah, because then they would have Im- been forced to do something. Yeah,
3: she improved. Her her vitals were relatively okay. Mm-hmm. I mean the pl- our plan was if she gets worse we'll put her on BIPAP mm-hmm. and keep her super close eye on her. I admitted her to the ICU to get essentially to get dialysis is what she needed mm-hmm. more than anything. And to kind of sort out why she wasn't tolerating dialysis, you know, sort of obviously beyond the scope of pre-hospital and beyond the scope of the ER as well. Right. But um it interesting case because it would have been really easy to really mess it up. Yeah.
1: So yeah. let's say you put her on BiPAP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you, do you have a cutoff point? Like her pressure goes down to what before you take her off of it?
3: You know, I wouldn't have put like clinically, I wouldn't have put her on BiPAP. Just because, like you said, she was doing better. better. Okay, let's say she
1: did not improve.
3: Yeah, then I would have probably put her on BiPAP with RT at the bedside so that we could titrate settings. Okay. Um, And hopefully, you know, like you said, her pressures were high, high, so probably would have done okay. And if she didn't, you know, if her pressure started to tank or if she started to clinically look worse, then I would bring her settings down. And then I would, you know, at that point, you'd say, hey, she needs emergent dialysis, right? right? Gotcha. you be calling in nephrology. And she's going to the ICU no matter what. Right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah.
1: Wow. Do you know how she turned out?
3: Uh, yeah, I think she got dialyzed the next day because she was pretty stable overnight and she did fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's but, lucky. Yeah, but, you know, it's interesting because this comes up a lot with, like, re- like, I had a resident that day who wanted to give nitro to, and it's a good learning point. But mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you guys about it because I wasn't sure how much this comes in play no. in the pre hospital setting. And have you guys sure. ever seen, you know, bad outcomes oh, from yeah. AS and
2: From giving nitro? Yeah. yeah. From Absolutely. And yeah. then yeah. you're like, what you know, what's going on? And i its never it, put the it, two together. Is yeah. it because never. their respiratory state is is just getting so bad now uh-huh. we need to intubate, you know? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So this is something you guys see in the field, yeah. but it's not something that's hey, we need to kind of keep this on our radar. Nope. Yeah. No one bit. Yeah. So yeah. if
2: someone like let's say You have someone with aortic stenosis, and they're not in a crisis. Right. Are there classic signs? Like, if if someone has CHF, you can kind of tell, like, they have the peripheral edema. There are certain things we're looking for to say, oh, that's probably going to fit into this category.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, sort of the classic signs aside from the murmur, right? Mm -hmm. And I will say murmurs in general are not going to necessarily – it's very rare that I listen to a murmur, and it, like, changes dramatically what I'm doing for the patient, right? because people have a lot of benign murmurs. But in this case, if somebody's got a very classic aortic stenosis murmur and is in this sort of clinical picture, it's definitely something that I think about, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of gets you back to the physical exam a little bit, mm-hmm. which I think we've all sort of moved away from, right? Yeah. So there are, I think there is still some value in it in getting a good heart exam and a yeah. good lung exam before you start doing interventions. And we're so used to all these interventions, right? That are really truly like critical care interventions, that w- but we don't really think about them like that anymore because mm-hmm. it's like you're you're doing it every day, I'm doing it every day. But it's good to like sometimes step back and be like, oh, this is an intervention that actually could could, could cause just, harm, right? right. Um, but so, the other classic, you know, exor- exercise intolerance. Okay. Um, you know, p- syncope is a big one. If somebody, if you know, have an elderly patient, that's you know exercising and they syncopize and they've got this murmur things Mm -hmm. to think about right so and then you can get heart failure signs from you know remodeling of your Mm -hmm. lv from the stenosis right so it's kind of can be a little cloudy but it's if you hear that murmur i think it's something to think
2: about so if it if it's so preload dependent um are you gonna see like do they classically have hypertension or Do they, does it just Not necessarily. Yeah,
3: Yeah, it varies, you know, and a lot of people walk around with aortic stenosis, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in the elderly population, and there's a, it's a big spectrum of disease, right? Um, But it's these patients that you're going to be giving medications to or doing interventions to that you have to think about that, right?
2: So everyone start listening to heart sounds, so you know what they all sound like. So Um, it's not
3: necessarily
0: something that is contraindicative of, Giving someone BIPAP, no, I mean it has to be someone who's in, is it kind of an extremis, sort of of an extremis, extremis,
3: yeah, yeah, more severe cases. Um, But you know, BIPAP, less of the nitro, I think, is the really the one you'd get in trouble with. Yeah, you know, I BIPAP's great because it's something you can turn on and turn off. When I'm when I'm giving nitro, I have one thing on my brain usually, and it's
0: how much. Space do I have right. with this patient? Right. So if I'm at 180, I'm not worried about nitro. Right. Because I'm only, true. I mean, I have my blinders on, I'm only looking at blood pressure. Me too. 100%. And it's, okay, even if this makes them worse, I'm not expecting it to drop their pressure 100 plus points. Right. Maybe 40 at the most. Yeah. And then that would be a big sign like, oh shoot, they were really sensitive to that. I'm going to hold off or I'm going to go to a drip because the drip is so much smaller compared to a you know, a tablet or mm-hmm. a you know a spray, but
1: ours is bolus. You
0: do an IV bolus of yeah nitro. How yeah. much? We do anywhere. I mean, we think we start at ten mics a minute.
1: That's what it is, ten mics a minute.
0: Yeah, and then
1: and we, it's we just go up to ten 100. mics. It's just a it's just a bolus.
3: Okay, and they do even. I have to look it up too, but the high high dose IV nitro is like. I always look it up. Anytime I give it. Yeah. But it's a lot more than that. Oh, it um, says Steve, here.
2: Steve, do you have any other murmur sounds that yeah. we can compare it to?
1: Yeah. 1,000 to 2,000 yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. And is that, that's the bolus, right? Yes. And I can't remember what our protocol said. Yeah. I've been out of that for a while.
3: And for, you know, acute flash pulmonary edema, like, it works great. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I do have some more heart tones on here. Um, so,
2: because we're not experts at... Heart murmurs, yeah, um, and probably people aren't very good at listening to them all the time, or maybe you only see hear one heart murmur a mm-hmm. month. Right, um, it's hard to differentiate between which ones or yeah. which. Yeah, yeah. So if they are an extremis, and they have some of these classic signs, and we hear a murmur,
3: yeah,
2: is that a time to pause and think? Will nitro?
3: <laughs> I think that if you hear a, you know, harsh, high pitch systolic mm-hmm. ejection murmur. Kind of classically at the you know right upper sternal border, kind of over where they, where you hear the aortic valve, mm-hmm. right. I think it's something to think about, at okay. minimum. Yeah, yeah. and so. I mean, always follow your local protocols. Yeah, we're not mm-hmm.
0: you know insinuating anything in lieu of that, but it's definitely something to think about. And if you were to see this in the field, I would say call your medical control and say, yeah, this absolutely. is what I got." And yeah. what do you yeah. think? Because right. it's not necessarily written or captured in our protocols. So yeah. We want to do something a little outside the box because we heard this could be a thing. Yeah. yeah,
3: and I think it all depends on your, like you said earlier, like what was the transport time? Yeah, right. Like totally. If you're five minutes from the hospital, maybe don't stay and play and right, yeah. mess around. Yeah, we've heard all heard your story about that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's got a story for everyone. Okay, so this can is you why say you that, do that? Can you say that
2: location again for the heart sound? The uh,
3: right? right upper sternal border. And then you know it cl- classically radiates up into the neck. So if you listen, and so over you're there. pointing to basically just right of the manubrium. Yeah, yeah. So you know you you know classically when you listen to hearts, right upper sternal border, mm-hmm. left upper sternal border, left lower sternal border, and then kind of left chest, right. So the way <laughs> I always remembered it was the, the the mnemonic in med school was Arnold Palmer the man. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like. Aortic valve, tricuspid valve, no, sorry, pulmonic valve, Arnold Palmer, tricuspid valve, mitral valve. Wow. Ninja. Right. Arnold Palmer. That's hard to follow yeah, on a podcast. but But, um, like, if you're listening to murmurs, that's kind of where mm-hmm. they'll be coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the one of the mnemonics. There's been you want to hear the mnemonic
2: we learned in paramedic school? Yeah. It was TPMA, like, going through the different valves. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Toilet yeah. paper my ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that worked. Yeah. That's how we learned it. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Not for listening, but yeah. just for learning. Yeah.
0: It flows through the heart and everything. <laughs> a little different.
2: Uh...
0: Usually those ones stick. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. No pun intended yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Two-ply? we've got um, a couple different sounds here we can listen to. Is there anything specific you think we should maybe review that would be more important than...
2: I'd like to hear the difference between it, uh, the different murmurs, just to hear what that. Yeah. Can
1: you start with normal again?
0: Um, yeah, I'll start with normal, and then let me play. I have an uh, what's coded as an innocent physiologic murmur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then Dan, here is uh, normal again.
1: So, it's the flow thing that's the murmur, or do you, it, yeah to me, like tur- I visualize flow, yeah,
3: it's like a turbulent, yeah, mm-hmm. you know tur- you're what you're picking at what you're hearing is turbulence of the blood flow mm-hmm. and or you know some of the other valve you can sometimes hear the like clicks yeah. of valves opening at the wrong time, et cetera, but
0: and is that because it's flowing through an area that's narrower, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, and there's there's some physics, yeah. There's some Laplace, I think was the right. I don't know. Wow! Oh, no, that sounds
0: really, really <laughs> yeah. smart. i I'll trust you on that. He's start making Turbulent, up words. Yeah. <laughs> Turbulent flow. Did you say Navaj. <laughs> Navaj. <Yeah. laughs> um. Okay. What else you want to listen to? That was. I have a holosystolic murmur. Mm. Okay. Okay. Here it is. That sounds bad.
1: What is that again?
3: Is that a, a um defect? Yeah. Ventricular a, septal defect? Yeah. Is that systolic murmur, yep. Yeah, that's what that sounds like. So I mean you that can sounds hear like blood's barely getting through. Well, I think what you're hearing there is blood going across the V is it a VSD? Um it doesn't say. Yeah. And so I mean the important thing I think when you're listening to murmurs is what's the location and I wouldn't overthink this too much. Yeah. It's just I think if you have a patient in extremis who you're going to be giving interventions like bipap, nitro, breathing treatments, mm-hmm. lasix, things that can alter their physiology and they have a murmur, right? Something just like Keep it in the back of your mind. Right. Just yeah. like if you have an inferior stem you don't give them nitro. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it's a, you know. Right. Keep that in the back of your mind. You know, I wouldn't say, like if you hear a murmur, I, I think, I mean, I don't know. We listen to murmurs a lot. I don't know how much you guys listen to murmurs, but. We just don't. Even if you, <laughs> Yeah. it's not, it's not like, like I said, it's very rare that I'm listening to a murmur and being like, oh, I'm changing what I'm doing at the bedside because of this mm-hmm. murmur, but. I will say if you hear like a high pitch systolic murmur that sounds like aortic stenosis, you can, you know, Google it, listen to what that sounds like in a patient that's sick that you're going to be giving these types of interventions to. It's a good thing to think about. Yeah.
2: I think that's awesome because I feel like we did learn hard sounds, of course, in paramedic school right. and nursing mm-hmm. school and things, but um, they're not hugely applicable to emergencies. Right. Which no. is what everybody in the field is concerned about and so i think it's just that knowledge that goes mm. by the wayside until something like this comes up right yeah. that's very applicable and yeah. so it's one now of the i bet you're going to be listening boop. to long sounds all the, or heart sounds all the time
0: yeah it's one of the first things yeah. that people write off because i'm in the back of an ambulance i can't hear it anyways you know? right yeah and it's like well if you can listen on scene for even just a little bit to yep. you know capture what you
3: might be able to glean from it would be important yeah and there's a couple you know like a cute Mitral regurge is another one that people get sick from, really we sick. Have, I
0: have mitral valve prolapse. Okay. Um, and then the other ones are
3: varying types of splits. Yeah, I think the splits are can be pretty subtle. Yeah. And sometimes those can be physiologic too.
1: What's a split?
3: It's like an S-split, S1 or S2. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're um, basically hearing that the valve's closing at a little different time instead of together. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, got it. Okay. Let me, uh, here's a mitral
0: valve prolapse.
2: I feel like those seem to be more of of a common one that you would hear.
3: Yeah, and to me, you know, the other important thing is trying to differentiate, like, systolic versus a diastolic murmur. Know, diastolic murmurs tend to be worse or the teaching is that, mm-hmm. you know, classically, but I you know the th- I would focus on and that's the second sound, correct. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of after S1 S2, mm-hmm. right? Um I think that I don't know, the thing I would want if I were talking to medics about this stuff is to just be aware of the preload dependence mm-hmm. in in aortic stenosis. You know, cuz I think you could get a little lost in the weeds on murmurs. Yeah, totally. And they're really subtle. And when you're in the back of an ambulance trying to listen to a murmur, I think that's very challenging. <laughs> yeah, or if yeah. you're on a helicopter. or yeah. right. if, You that know, I've r- done ride-alongs with you guys, and it is very challenging. Like, a ton of respect for medics that they're able to hear anything. Yeah, You know, <laughs> okay. in the back of a rig. Yeah. So it gets, I mean, I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on, hey, you should be able to pick up X, Y, or Z murmur, because I think it's pretty challenging. But I think these types of patients that were resuscitating, if you hear that, I think your idea of hey, maybe call in and say this is what I've got. Yeah, I hear this really harsh murmur. Or and some people know. Some people say like I have bad aortic stenosis, right? Yeah, I'm on a, I'm waiting to get a a TAVR or aortic valve replacement of some sort, right? So So if they tell you that, hold off on the LASIKs and the nitro. I would. Yeah, in a yeah. pre-hospital setting, I okay. would. Yeah, Or, again, if you had a long transport time, I would call in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah run it by your your uh, online medical control. Yeah. See what they think.
2: Man. Yeah, I think that's great. And the things that we've learned is if you hear a murmur, uh, just think twice. And then the location of where the murmur would, you would hear that aortic stenosis. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, you know, when you hear long sounds, it's like sometimes they resonate. Uh-huh. Does it happen to with like if you're listening over like the right quadrant for a murmur yeah. and yeah, you, then you, you can, listen like under the armpit? Oh, definitely.
3: Yeah. If somebody has a really harsh, you know, aortic sten- yeah. stenotic murmur, yes, you can, yeah, hear, can it hear it throughout though. the kind of the precordium. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but that and, like, is like that
2: high pitch sound. Yeah, you, you can know.
3: definitely hear it's tends to be the loudest, I would say, at that location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely hear yeah. it throughout
2: your paramedics love this stuff like they would live for the one call where they were yeah, like sorry yeah. doc he, they have aortic stenosis That's right and we didn't do it like everyone's yeah. gonna be on their uh, a game now trying to trying to find that one person yeah
0: so I'm looking at um, the Mayo Clinic's website and they have the long list of symptoms of aortic valve stenosis curious your take on this doc uh, obviously heart murmur heard through stethoscope uh, chest pain mm-hmm Angina or tightness with activity. Yep. Uh, feeling faint or dizzy or fainting with activity. Uh, shortness of breath, especially with activity.
3: And that, you know, it makes sense physiologically, right? So when you're, yeah. you're pumping blood through a fixed valve, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, you're not able to augment your cardiac output. Mm-hmm. So when people are active, when you and I are active, our heart beats faster. And our stroke, stroke volume goes up and we pump more blood through to meet our metabolic demands, right? And these people with activity that have this stenotic valve and they have a fixed amount of blood that can go through can't meet those metabolic demands, so they faint. Mm, or, yeah. they get, or they get chest yep. pain, right? And that's um, kind of like sort of makes sense. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Um, it says fatigue, again, all that, um, especially during times of increased activity. Uh, rapid fluttering heartbeat, and then it talks about specifically in children um, not eating enough and not gaining enough weight, Mm -hmm. symptoms of aortic stenosis in kids. So there's obviously a genetic component to this if kids are getting it, right?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'd say the vast majority, that would be the rare case, right? Really? Yeah, I would say it's atypical in kids. It's mostly elderly patients who get yeah. Calcific mm-hmm. valves. Right? Is that is typically from lifestyle choices? Lifestyle choices part of the aging process. Gotcha. Part of the you know, our American body habitus. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can get bicuspid aortic valves is another common reason that they get stenotic. But I'd probably I mean, I'm not a cardiologist, but my guess is the most common is kind of the elderly patient with, with calcified valves, valve leaflets. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: There's a image on here. Of what looks like a garden hose, with a triangle um, hole on the top, to kind of represent—oh, yeah—what it looks like, yeah, when uh, you have basically no stenosis all the way to severe stenosis, and right? And so yeah, that's kind of that's sort of that illustrating exactly
3: what we've been talking about, like the yeah. hose, like you're looking Pressure at the hose up within the garden hose, yeah, and it's sort of that fixed space, right? Mm-hmm. It's that fixed caliber of that you're the blood's pushing through yeah it's kind of a good way to think about it yeah you should, you should so i have a that. question that's for a you word. you
2: mentioned that she has afib with R- rvr not in this case but yeah. she had previously mm-hmm. had that so are you worried about at all giving her medications that alter her blood pressure in this case since you said that it's hard really for the body to augment um but that's or is that just really just during exercise
3: you know f- so for things like uh, you know for example she's on high dose metoprolol right which is more of hits the rate a little bit more than the blood pressure, mm-hmm. and really slowing down the rate in somebody with, with aortic stenosis or anybody. If anything, it allows for longer filling times. Mm-hmm. So it actually sort of helps with forward flow, gotcha. if that makes sense.
2: So really it's just exertional um Exertional
3: hypotension, hypotension venodilators that drop your preload, yeah. you know, things that truly drop your—metoprolol, you know, if she was having rates in the 150s, 160s, and you mm-hmm. gave her a and her blood pressure tolerated it, slowing the heart rate down actually would be a good be thing. Be a good thing for her. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Well. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: This is a big one. Like, I, I feel like it's really weird to me that I've never, yeah. never heard about this. before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It is.
1: Very strange. Well, I keep racking up the deaths. So I just keep <laughs> thinking <laughs> in my head. I know. It's like, shoot. Jeez.
0: Um, well,
2: because before um, you had push dose nitro, we would just always give sublingual nitro, right? And that's a lot of nitro. It is a lot, and you can't take it back. No, like it's that's it's, it's in there. Yeah, you can't
3: take it back. Yeah. Oh, wait, a, here's what's nice about BiPAP. You can take. You can turn yes. it off. Yeah, yeah. That was just pre BiPAP. Yeah. You know,
2: that was all you really yeah. had was Lasix and.
0: Uh, it says three main causes, like we've already talked about: um, <laughs> calcium buildup on the valve. For a variety of reasons, rheumatic fever,
3: mm. yeah, complication of untreated
0: yeah. strep throat, yeah. can damage the I don't heart see valves. See that in
3: the U.S. as much, yeah, but internationally, that's probably, that's a, I would imagine, a very common cause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't, I mean, I don't, gosh, I can think of maybe a handful of patients mm-hmm. since med school that I've seen with rheumatic heart disease. You know, hmm. how how is that diagnosed? Uh, similarly, you know, with murmurs and echoes, yeah, but. So what I've been told is that the strep variants – don't quote me. I mean, you can quote me on this. but <laughs> So what I've been told by ID is the strep variants that we have in the U.S. are not as remetogenic as a lot of the strep variants in, like, mm. Mm. South America and places like that. And, you know, most people that get strep get treated with antibiotics here. Yeah. yeah.
0: So. Right. Uh, and then lastly is congenital heart defects.
3: Whoa. They talk about bicuspid aortic valve.
0: They do. Having a congenital heart defect such as a bicuspid aortic valve requires regular medical checkups. The valve condition may not cause any problems until adulthood. If the valve begins to narrow or leak, it may need to be repaired or replaced. Thank you mayoclinic.org.
3: And I you know there could be I'm not a um, medical director for EMS, but there may it would be interesting to talk to you as medical directors. Yeah, I'm curious what their take would be on this as, yeah. you know, the folks that are designing these protocols, right? Mm-hmm.
2: And it does seem like the CHF patient is something that we see a lot. We do. You know, oh, and it's yeah. kind of like, it's you know, common. the old CHF pneumonia, you know, yeah. what is it? And we they kind of hammer that in um, during paramedic school and then throughout your career. You're always kind of revisiting those case reviews. But um, really, I don't. We just marched if down it's been mentioned, it hasn't been mentioned in this way that's yeah. so applicable to mm-hmm. just and that think, easy you know, physical exam. Mm-hmm. Our
3: patient population is getting older and older. Mm-hmm. And the amount of aortic valve replacements we're doing, are yeah. it's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there are a lot of people walking around with this condition that we're probably seeing in the ER, or seeing pre-hospital, mm-hmm. that it's good to be aware of. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, Maybe not. Maybe the medical directors aren't seeing enough of it to say, "Hey, we need to change right. our protocols." Yeah. Right. Which is fair.
0: Was the the patient that we talked about is she on any sort of a list for a valve replacement?
3: That I don't recall off the yeah. top of my head. Yeah. 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 I mean, her being on Dallas, she had you know, a lot of medical comorbidities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so That's probably not helping yeah. her out. But it's probably, she may be on the list. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. That Was a good one. That was one. a really yeah. good one. I'm thinking Got a like a lot of like things going through my head
2: when you know anytime you drop off of, off a patient the first thing the doctor does is come in and listen to lungs and their heart you know that's like number 1 yeah, right. Mm-hmm. right yeah yeah and it always seems just i don't know just a f- like a functional way to start right. your exam and you're talking to them at the same time you know but it's really valuable mm-hmm. and yeah
3: you know. i think most of the time i think it is a functional hey this is a part of my costume right. i've got mm-hmm. this stethoscope on my neck <laughs> <laughs> but but like you know there are one in, I don't know, however, not not many, right but there are occasional cases where you listen to their heart and it sort of changes you're what like, you're You're like, oh, okay. Or you listen to their line. You know, and the other thing for you guys is differentiating heart failure and COPD is really tricky, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and a lot of people who have heart failure smoke mm-hmm. and have COPD. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, the Occam's razor that you learn in, you know, medicine of there's one problem and I need to fix the one problem. When you're in actual clinical practice, there's a lot of people who have a COPD exacerbation and heart failure. Yeah. They did not read the protocols. Right. They didn't read the the books. You know, and like differentiating what's the primary driver on that visit, it can be really hard. Mm -hmm. And again, pre-hospital, it's even harder because you guys are in a rig that's hard to hear things. You have limited time. You know, so deciding which which course to go down is sometimes you do both. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you say, Hey, I'm going to give them some Lasix and I'm going to give them a breathing treatment right, or whatever. And that's not necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. I think this is just an interesting, unique case that yeah. Yeah. there's
2: mm-hmm. a lot of distracting things yeah. in the case, like the dialysis and yeah. the the coughing and the smoking. And like, yeah. there's a lot of distracting
3: right. things. Yeah, I think if I had any other I thought that one I've just was like, oh, this is interesting. And this would it's have been perfect really EMS easy to fuck this up. Oh yeah. yeah. And I've seen it get messed up in residency mm-hmm. where, like, I have seen a patient code from Nitro yeah. with aortic stenosis. Mm-hmm. And it is, when you see it once. It sticks with you. You're like, oh, man, like, got to be aware of that. Yeah. yeah. You know.
0: Awesome. Well, Doc, thanks so much for coming. We always enjoy having you. Um, thanks for having me. Definitely appreciate the yeah. case review. this well, was there's some good stuff. This is a, a career-altering one for me. It's just going to be one of those other things I have in the back of my head. Of, mm-hmm. oh, Everyone's going to be like, why does this? Steve
2: always listen to heart sounds? Yeah,
0: I know. And then I'm going to be the guy that, oh, okay, Steve's no, got to listen to his heart no, tones. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, Five star, here we go.
2: They hurt their leg, Steve, are you yeah. listening to their heart. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: He said he has aortic stenosis. <clears throat> this is a trauma call. Yeah, I know. Um, well, cool. We'll leave it there, and um, yeah, we'll catch you guys on the next one.
1: All right.